0: There's a scene from the movie called Gravity. I don't know if you've seen that movie or not, but the basic premise behind the movie is that there's, there's an incident in space that strands two astronauts, and they have to try to figure out how to get home with none of the power and equipment that they had to get there in the first place. And so it is a scramble for survival. And there's one particular scene about... I don't know three fourths of the way or so into the movie, where the one remaining survivor has a decision to make, and she doesn't quite know if she can get back home or not. And she gets to the point where she's in one of the space capsules there, and she decides that it's over, and so she turns the oxygen in the the cabin way down, and she realizes that it's only a matter of time with the oxygen turned way low that. The carbon dioxide that she is breathing out will eventually make her go to sleep and she will die. And so she, in this dramatic moment, just turns the oxygen down and begins the process, she thinks, of dying. And I think of that when it relates to life because I really believe we probably, whether we want to admit it or not, get to certain times, whether you're there now, or you have been there and you know what it feels like, or one day you will be there where you really have just turned off the oxygen, and you figure life is over at this point, and I may have to continue on living in my body, but essentially I've turned off the oxygen I'm just waiting to die. I'm just going to live out my days, and you know what, because of this or because of that or because this has happened, because that hasn't happened, whatever it may be, maybe you're there today, you feel like you have no oxygen. You feel like there's no hope. You feel like there's no way out. This is a sermon that I hope will hit many people right where you are today. Because even as professing Bible-believing Christians that we may claim to be, we have times when we feel like there's no hope, like there's no oxygen, as if we're just waiting to die. I hope this sermon will hit you if that's who you are. I hope it will hit you right where you need it most. And I don't mean to punch you in the face. I mean really to minister to you right where you are. And I hope that maybe you say, well, I'm not really there right now. Life is okay. I hope that you'll be able to use the ideas in this sermon, the scriptures that I'll give to you, maybe to help someone else, because you're surrounded by those kinds of people all the time. And I hope that maybe if you're not there or maybe you say, well, I don't know anybody who is, that you'll put this in your pocket and you'll take the notes today and stick it in your Bible and you'll pull those notes back out at a time when you feel like there's no oxygen, when you feel like giving up. Maybe you're there today and you say, what now? You say, look, don't don't give me a pep talk today. All my friends try that. They try to pep me up. Hey, look, the sun will come up tomorrow everything's going to be all right, pat me on the back. Maybe you say, don't give me a pep talk. Look, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what has happened. You don't know how I feel. And you're right, I don't. But I hope to show you this morning from the scripture, a guy who was right there, a guy who followed Jesus very closely and yet wound up at a point in his life where he had essentially turned off the oxygen, where he's just sort of waiting it out. He doesn't know what to do. And we'll see his story today first scripture I want to look at this morning is John chapter 21. We're going to flip around just a little bit because we're going to highlight the life of Peter both before and after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to to get a, a big overview of his life and we're going to do that by going to several different scriptures. Most of the scriptures you'll see there on the handout. There'll be a few that I'll throw in that you may want to write down the reference on. But John chapter 21 is where we'll start this morning. So get there if you can. I'm going to look first at verse 3, and then we'll look at some other uh, verses in this particular chapter. What's happened so far, just to kind of catch you up on the story, this is right toward the end of John's Gospel, and he's written the story of Jesus, and he's told about his crucifixion, he's told about his resurrection, and and he ties the story together with one last little episode. So this is after the resurrection. This episode takes place after Jesus had already appeared a couple of times to his disciples. They knew he was alive. But Jesus has some unfinished business with one particular disciple named Peter. And Peter is, is for many people, their favorite disciple. I think he's the one, for many of us, we relate to him. He's, he's portrayed in the Gospels as being very human and very flawed. And maybe that's why we like him so much, because we know we're very human. And in many cases, we're very flawed. Verse 3 of chapter 21 gives us an indication of the mindset that Peter had and that many of the disciples had uh, as the Gospel of John rounds sort of closed. Peter says this. Look at it in verse 3. He says, I'm going fishing. That's what he told the rest of them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Peter, especially here... I think presents to us somewhat of a loaded statement when he says to the other disciples I'm going fishing now This isn't a surprising statement based upon the fact that that's what he did for a living before he met Jesus was being a fisherman But I wonder Is he to the point where he feels like it's time to turn off the oxygen? You know, I'm I'm done. I've done so many things wrong. I've failed so much I, I, there's no hope for me. Look at all I've done. Look at all I haven't done. Look at what has happened Now i'll be honest with you when I study this this passage of scripture this story of peter and jesus here at the end of john The commentators the the guys who write about this stuff are really all over the place when they try to speculate on what's peter's motivation for going fishing Some would say well he, he's waiting on jesus He's just going doing getting about his business and waiting for jesus To come and to give him the next step in the mission Others will tell you he's confused, he doesn't know what to do, and so he just goes back to what he knows, which is fishing. Some would tell you that it's a feeling of resignation, that, well, I'm just giving up, it's over. Maybe he's stuck, just doesn't have any clue, what do I do now? I know Jesus is alive, but you know, the last interaction I had with him wasn't good, and we'll see that in a minute, and I'm not sure what I need to do. Maybe there's a lot of regret. Jesus told him that he would be a fisher of men. So he says, well, you know what? That had not worked out. I guess I'll just go back to fishing. That's what I know. Maybe he just doesn't know what's going on. He's scared when Jesus will come face to face with him. What's he going to say? Because as we'll see, Peter's got a lot of stuff stacked against him here. Based upon what's already happened, it seems as if Peter's mind is just all over the place. Maybe he's experiencing all of those things. But for whatever reason, he says, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going out on the lake. And it's interesting, it says in verse 3, they caught nothing that night, which kind of seems fitting for the way Peter must have been feeling at the time. You ever had insult to injury? You say, nothing's gone right, I'm just going to go back to what I know, and even that doesn't work out. Peter says, I'm going fishing, and nothing is what they catch. And then the verses tell us, as the story goes on, that Jesus showed up in the morning. And he performs a miracle, this huge catch of fish, and they finally recognize that it's him. And Peter has a face-to-face meeting with Jesus by a fire, sitting there on the lake shore, And it's in that meeting... That Peter got the point that Jesus wanted to make right here as John ties up his gospel. That Peter, life isn't over. I'm alive, Jesus would indicate to him. And so, as a result of that, it's time to move forward, it's time to live. Let me tell you this if you listen today, you just might hear the same message from Jesus that life's not over that he truly is alive, and it's time for us to move forward. Let's look real quick at this conversation in which Jesus restores, the Bible tells us, restores Peter to full-on status. I've got a mission for you. It's time to get going. Look at verse 15 of the same chapter. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. in verse 18, I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. Three times, Peter, do you love me? Three times, yes, Lord, I do. Three times, Peter, it's time to move forward in obedience. I've got something for you. Shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. And finally, he says, follow me. This little episode here, I think, gains more tremendous power when we consider all that had happened between Jesus and Peter in the past. Because it's far more than a pep talk. This isn't Jesus coming to him and saying, look, man, I know you're having a bad day. I know you didn't catch anything all night. But I got something good for you. Just pick yourself up and get going. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's doing is telling him, Peter, look, I know you feel as if that your life has been useless to this point that you have nothing left to live for, that it is all lost, that everything you've done and everything has happened has conspired to get you to the point where you want to give up. But Peter, let me tell you, life is not over. And Jesus sends him out, not just with a great mission, but with a new perspective on life, a resurrection perspective on life. I want to do something this morning before I move on to the rest of the sermon. I, I want to give you the chance to, to spend just a moment with the Lord and normally we pray at the end of the sermon. I'll just tell you, when I say amen a second, it's not over, okay? I got more. Good, bad, or otherwise, I got more, okay? But I, 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 want to, I want to spend just a moment, because when you look at this scripture, when you see what Peter was dealing with, when we talk about the fact that for so many, we feel like, let me just turn off the oxygen. I, I, want, I, I want you to spend a moment or two in prayer and ask the Lord for the same kind of perspective that Peter was given, the same kind of of new outlook on life, not a pep talk, but a true resurrection perspective that Peter was given based upon this interaction. And maybe that's exactly what you need this morning. And so let me ask you, if you would, to bow with me. Let's ask the Lord this morning as we look at what Peter experienced... Maybe you'd spend a moment just in silent prayer and ask God, really pour out your heart and say, Lord, I need the perspective that life isn't over, that it's not done, that I don't need to turn off the oxygen. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that you just pray very specifically for them right now. They may be here, they may not be, but spend just a moment in prayer and ask God for this life's not over perspective. Help, ask him, Lord, help me to see it the way you see it. Lord, for so many this morning, I pray that you would give them that perspective. That life's not over. Help us to see it. As Peter's eyes were open. Lord, open our eyes. Speak to us. Give us hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus talked with Peter on the lake that day, he knew everything about him. He knew what he had done. He knew, he knew all the good, he knew all the bad, he knew all that was keeping Peter from truly living, and the same is true for you and I today. The Lord knows everything that you've done. He knows what you did this morning, He'll knew, he knows what you'll do this afternoon, he knows all the good, all the bad, all the in-between, he knows what's keeping you from truly living, and in the face of all of that, he told Peter, and I think the message is the same for us today, Peter, life is not over. There's several things about Peter's life that he could have assumed, well, it's over because of this, it's over because of that. But Jesus said, life's not over. Let me give you four things this morning. In Peter's life that I, I think speak very clearly to us today. First of all, life's not over, not even because, Peter, of failure. Mark chapter 14. As I said, we'll flip around just a little bit. So if you want to mark a spot there in John 21, turn over to Mark chapter 14. Life's not over, not even because of failure. In Mark 14, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he took along Peter, James, and John. And he says, guys, I need you to stand here and I need you to pray with me. I'm going to go over here, I'm going to spend time with my Father. I want you to pray as well. He knew they needed strength, they knew they needed to hear from God. And so he says, guys, you spend time in prayer. In verse 37 of Mark 14, Jesus has gone off to pray, and he comes back, and verse 37 tells us, he came and found them sleeping. And he says, look who he addresses, Simon, that's Peter, are you sleeping? He asked Peter, couldn't you stay awake one hour? Now this is the same guy, this is Simon Peter, who said, Lord, I'm with you until the end. And he falls asleep. Jesus said, look, just over here, you stay here, I want you to pray. And he fell asleep. He failed miserably. Peter had the best intentions. You ever been there? Lord, I'm going to do it this time. I tell you what, God, you can count on me. Put me in the game because I'm ready to go. And the Lord shows up and finds you essentially asleep. I mean, what a feeling Peter must have had when Jesus comes over and kind of kicks him and says, Are you sleeping? No, uh, no, I was just praying. Let me just give you a piece of advice. Those of you that are students, you ever fall asleep in class and a teacher walks up to you? Just say in Jesus' name, Amen. And maybe they'll let you off the hook a little bit because you just were praying, of course, or concentrating really hard. Peter had no recourse there. Jesus comes over, kicks him a little bit, and says, are you sleeping? I mean, imagine the feeling that he's got. This feeling of letting down Jesus at such a crucial moment. When Jesus says, all I asked you to do was just stay awake and pray for an hour. You couldn't do that? And we've each failed like that. For some, our failure has been spiritual. We just haven't been faithful. And we've got the best intentions. And Lord, I tell you what, I'm going to serve you now. I'm going to obey you now like never before. And then you drift. You just sort of float along. And instead of being a committed, following disciple of Jesus, you become more like a casual fan. Some have failed in... Other things. Maybe you've poured your life and your money into something, and it just went under, and you failed, or it failed, and you feel like a failure as a result. You think, well, I, you know, can't do anything. <laughs> Some have lost a job, and you desperately needed that job, and now you feel like a complete failure. Some maybe. Even years ago or even recently. Maybe you got cut from a team. Or you didn't get a promotion. Or you dropped the ball at work or at home or at school or at church or wherever. And you feel like you've just failed. You know, failure can lead to a lot of things. It can lead to embarrassment. None of us like to to fail. And some have the, the great misfortune of failing publicly. Maybe you've done that. You fail in front of people and they know about it. It can lead to embarrassment, it can lead to settling. You know, some folks get so scared of failing again that they just settle for lower goals and I'm not going to try anything now. Failure can lead to a lack of confidence. I'm not really that good at that or this or whatever. You can give up, you can be pessimistic. And when Peter talked to Jesus, when Jesus talked to Peter that day on the lake shore, he was talking to the same Peter who had failed him in the garden and he lets him know even knowing what Peter had done to let him down, Peter, life's not over, not even because of your failure. And let me let me tell you, hear that from God today. Maybe it's failure that comes to you and says, it's over. Just turn off the oxygen. You've got nothing left to give. The Lord, He's not going to use you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. You've failed too many times. And Peter shows up, Jesus rather, shows up to Peter on that lake shore, knowing he had failed him, and he says, Peter, I've got something for you. Life's not over yet. So life's not over, not even because of failure. And I'll tell you the second one, it's not over even because of sin. This is the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the way. That sin, yes, a big deal. Sin, the thing that keeps us from God. But life's not over, not even because of sin. Not because we can make up for our own sin, but because Jesus came and made up for it through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Peter's sin was blatant. And it was very serious, as all sin is. In Matthew chapter 26, we get the the account of his sin. In fact, let me back up before we get to verses 69 through 75, and let me read to you Matthew 26 verses 31 to 35. You may want to write down that reference. Jesus is at what we know is now the first Lord's Supper, when he institutes the communion that they were to to take later on, and as we still take, to symbolize the death of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, verse 31 of chapter 26, tonight all of you will run away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone runs away because of you, I will never run away. I assure you, Jesus said to him, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. Look at verse 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in a courtyard. This is as Jesus is on trial. A servant approached him and she said, you were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out into the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached and said to Peter, you certainly were one of them since even your accent gives you away. We know who you are, they say. Then he started to curse and to swear an oath. I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Other gospel accounts tell us that Jesus and Peter made eye contact. (laughs) It's the heat of the moment. The pressure's on him. He's scared to death of what his relationship with Jesus is going to cost him. And so he denies even knowing Jesus at all. (laughs) It was sin. After, of course, he had told him, look, I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. And he sins. Not just a weak moment here. Not just a mistake. It was a, a sin. And the truth is that denial of Jesus is involved in all of our sin. We operate, we act as if we don't know him. Or act as if we don't want to know him. Or act as if what he says doesn't matter. And for Peter and for us, our sin, just like his, is often willful and blatant and repeat it. It wasn't as if he said, well, I, I'm not sure, um, you know, I'm a little scared here. He did it three times. And for some of us, our sin is just like that. It's totally willful. We make an absolute conscious decision. I'm going to do this. It's blatant. It's in front of everybody. We're not worried about it. And it's repeated. And Jesus' Gospels tell us looks at him and Peter crumbles and he goes outside and he weeps bitterly. And then in John 21, he's out fishing. (laughs) No doubt there on the lake with this episode of denying Jesus, ringing in his mind, the look in Jesus' eyes, the feeling of shame and regret, those words that he said, I don't know him, the swearing, the cursing, I don't know him, the echo of all of that in his own mind. And today, the truth is, some of us are out there with him on the lake, And our sins are reverberating in our minds and our feelings of guilt and shame and regret are overwhelming us. And when Jesus talked with Peter that day on the lake, he knew and clearly remembered Peter's denial. He hadn't forgotten it. And it's clear that he was bringing it back up to some degree because three times Peter denied him and three times Jesus said, Do you love me? Three times Jesus told him to move forward with the mission. Life's not over, Peter, he was telling him, not even because of your sin. We need to hear that today from the Lord. Because some of us have stopped, some of us have turned off the oxygen because our sin is so blatant, it's so willful, it's so repeated that we figure life is over. God doesn't want anything to do with me anymore. There's no way that he could love me or want anything to do with me. But here these references, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Romans chapter 8 tells us that there's no condemnation, there's no shame for those who belong to Jesus Christ. We learn also in Romans that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing, not even our sin. We learn in Galatians chapter 2 that our old selves are gone, they've been crucified with Christ and we have new life in Him. We learn in 1 John chapter 1 that God is ready, He's willing, and He's certainly more than able to forgive us our sin when we confess it and give it to Him. Not even your sin means life is over. So life's not over because of failure, because of sin. and The third thing, not only is it not over because of failure and sin, but it's not over even because of tragedy. When you think of it from Peter's perspective before he saw the resurrected Jesus, John chapter 19 verse 30 is a tragedy. It says here, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. That's the moment Jesus died. Think of it from Peter's perspective the man who had denied Jesus, the man who had thought Jesus was going to restore the kingdom of Israel, that this was going to be a glorious time for Jesus the Messiah and his disciples, and now he's dead. Now we know the rest of the story, of course. We also know what Jesus had told them, and he would rise again. But in this moment, Peter had to wonder, what does this all mean? I mean, is everything over? What's going to happen now? He tried to stop it. Peter told him, Lord, this isn't going to happen to you. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter tried to fight against those folks who came to arrest Jesus. He tried to stop it. He told him this isn't the path that you need to take, Jesus. This was unimaginable to him. The death of the Messiah was not something he could comprehend. And at the moment it happened, I wonder what he thought. This tragedy had struck. His leader, his hero, had died. I wonder if he thought life was over as he knew it. That was his tragedy. And you've got your own set. Life hasn't gone for some the way you expected or you hoped. And in some ways, it's been tragic. I mean, those dreams have died. That plan you had is no longer. The world you think, and it seems, and maybe has, conspired against you. You've lost a job. A relationship has ended, You've gone through a breakup or a divorce, You've experienced the death of a friend or a family member. Or maybe there's tragedies in your life that nobody sees and nobody knows about, but you're dealing with those. Tragedy crushes us, as you well know, emotionally. I mean, it sends us reeling. We don't know what to do about it. We're sad, we're angry, we're, we're hopeless, we're everything in between. It challenges us spiritually. I mean, we start to ask, where in the world is God? What's He doing? And why did this happen? It even affects us physically as we deal with the stress and the lack of sleep and all of the things that come with these tragedies in our lives. And some of us here today showed up and you are spinning I mean, you're trying to get your bearings, but the truth is that the tragedies you face, whether people know about them or not, whether they're huge or they're just big to you, you're trying to get your bearings, thinking maybe life is over. You're giving up. You're not, not wanting to, to move forward, or you're not feeling like you can. But when Peter and Jesus had that encounter there on the lake shore and the resurrected Jesus shows up to Peter, it simply proved that even in the midst of tragedy, that life isn't over. I want to read to you a scripture that I often read at funerals. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul wrote. He says, "...we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep, those who have died." so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. He's talking about a tragedy. Since we believe that Jesus died, there's the tragedy, we think, and then rose again, he puts the exclamation point on it, in the same way God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming, when Jesus returns, will certainly have no advantage over those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And then he says this, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He's talking about the death of people that know Jesus. One form of tragedy that we can certainly experience is the loss of people close to us through death. But let me tell you that the truth, the resurrection truth of Jesus applies not only to life and death, both here and then life later on with Jesus in heaven, but it applies to the death that we experience just through tragedy itself, the feeling that life is over. It is the resurrection power of God that gives us hope that life isn't over even when and even because we think of our tragedies. Life's not over. Not because of failure, not because of sin, not because of tragedy. And one other thing for Peter that he learned was life isn't over, not even because of unreached potential. Maybe you haven't failed. Maybe you say, I, I'm not feeling like giving up because of sin in my life, or maybe not even because of some tragedy. Maybe you can relate to Peter and his unmet potential. Matthew chapter sixteen is really one. Of, it's one of my favorite little episodes here. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he and he asks them, "Who, who are people? What, you know, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying?" Who do, who do they think that I am? You know, here I am, this this incredible miracle worker, this teacher. Who do they say that I am? And, and, they, and they rattle off, the disciples do, several different figures. And then he asked them in verse 15, he says, but you, who do you say that I am? <clears throat> and guess who answers? Simon Peter. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Right answer, Jesus says. Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. <clears throat> and I also say that you are Peter. That means rock. And on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades, the forces of hell, will not overpower it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. I mean, this is the, the peak moment for Peter. The rock. I mean, he's a solid guy. Jesus is going to say, He says, you're going to be used in such incredible ways you can't even imagine how God is going to use you in the kingdom of God. And now look at me, Peter says. I'm going fishing. I was supposed to be this incredible guy, this great preacher, this disciple maker, this fisher of men, and I haven't caught anything all night long. I have failed. I've sinned. I've thrown it all out the window. Everything I could have been, everything I might have been, everything I hope to be is all gone. I'll never amount to anything. What I should have been and what I should have done is all over. Jesus in John chapter 21 spoke to a guy that day who was the same guy that he said... You'll be this helpful, solid, incredible, foundational guy that I'm going to use in ways that you cannot imagine. But Peter had failed since then. Peter had sinned since then. He had given up in the face of tragedy since then. And it all led to lots and lots of unreached potential. You get to a certain point in life where you look back and you say, I'm not who I thought I'd be. I haven't done the things that I thought I would do. I haven't lived the life that I thought I would live. I have not reached all the potential that people spoke so much about when I was younger. Two young guys sitting up here. Young people out in the audience, you know what, you got so much potential ahead of you. And then look around and you see some folks who aren't so young anymore. (laughs) And sometimes we look back and say, you know what, life's over. I mean, you know, I haven't done any of the things that I hoped I'd do. I mean, the things that people spoke about me, you know, boy, I tell you what, God's going to use you. He's got such an incredible plan for your life. You know, it's going to be great. And you look back and none of that has happened. That's Peter. a failure he thought lost in sin tragedy had overwhelmed him but jesus wasn't done with him three times peter time for you to get going get off the lake don't sit here by the fire anymore no more pity parties No more wondering what's going to happen, Peter. It's time for you to get... Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Fine, let's get going. The truth is, if Jesus wasn't done with Peter, who swore and cursed that he never met Jesus, he's not done with you either. You don't have to believe me. You can simply believe that the Word of God is giving us an accurate picture of... Of what Jesus did in the life of someone who dealt with failure and dealt with sin and dealt with tragedy and dealt with unreached potential. And what Jesus did for him, Jesus, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And guess what? If that's what he did for Peter, then that's what he can do for you. Life's not over. Not even because of your unreached potential. If you fast forward just a little bit in the story from John chapter 21... You find Peter in Acts chapter 2 preaching sermons in the face of, of tremendous opposition and threat, even preaching later on after having been beaten and imprisoned, and you find a guy who was completely different from the guy sitting there on the fishing boat not knowing what to do. What happened? You fast forward to Acts 2 and Acts 4 and Acts 5 and on and on and on. You see Peter living as if he had never really been alive before. He's truly alive. You don't see him not knowing what to do. You see him preaching. Living with the power of Jesus and loving Jesus inside and out. Peter learned a great truth, I think, through a series of events there, beginning with the time with Jesus on the lakeshore. And it's the truth that I want to pass on to you, and I want to give you really quickly as we close the, the two foundational things that Peter built his life on after that episode. But if you hear nothing else today, don't hear it from me, but hear it from God Himself. Life's not over, so live. Life's not over, and I don't mean that as a pep talk. I re- that's the message I believe Jesus was giving to Peter right there. I'm not done with you. It's not over. Moving forward, these things are not on your outline, but I'd love for you to write them down. Peter was able to take that message that Jesus was giving him that day by the lake, that life's not over, Peter, it's time to move forward and live the life that I've given you. There were two foundational things in that. One was an unshakable belief in the resurrected Jesus. I mean, it was unshakable. At that point, you look in Acts chapter 2, go and read it. You'll read about who who Peter was talking about. He was talking about the resurrected Lord. He had an unshakable belief in the resurrected Lord. The gospel of Jesus is that he came and lived a perfect life that you and I could not live. That God demanded perfection, so Jesus did it for us. That a payment had to be rendered to God for sin, and Jesus was the only one who was perfect, So he's the only one who could die for all of us. The only sacrifice God would truly accept was the death of a perfect substitute. Jesus died for us. And the the finishing part of the gospel is that he not only died, but he didn't stay dead. He was raised again to become the promise of eternal life for us. The Bible says that is received through faith. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to go out and try to work hard at. It's simply received by faith. I believe in the resurrected Lord Jesus. I believe He died for my sins. I believe in Him. I have faith. That belief is is a surrendering of life to God, no question, but it is a belief that what He did and what He said is true. Peter's faith in the Lord is unshakable at this point. Let me encourage you. If you feel like life is over, go back to the resurrected Jesus and begin the process of spending time with Him to get a resurrection view of life and get to the point, let Him grow your faith to where it is an unshakable faith, no matter what happens, an unshakable faith in the resurrected Jesus. It's the foundation of our faith, you get that. We talked about it on Easter. And secondly, what happened to Peter was an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit. You say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was resurrected after he died. I know all of those things, and yet I still feel like life is over. Peter had all the head knowledge. He knew it. But what Jesus did for him after he ascended, and he did for for the rest of the disciples and he does for all believers, was to send his Holy Spirit to take up residence, to literally live inside and fill us up in such a way that we gain his hope every single day. Peter's foundation, the key to his life after failure, his life after sin, his life after tragedy, his life after unreached potential, was faith in the resurrected Jesus and a daily filling of the Holy Spirit. You want to live as if life is not over. You want to experience life as God has promised to those who believe in him. And I'm not talking about a life that is no longer filled, filled with failure. I'm not, I'm not talking about a life in which you never sin. I'm not talking about a life in which there's never a tragedy or a life in which, you know what, you, sometimes you won't reach your potential. But I'm talking about life that God offers you in spite of all of those things that comes through faith in the resurrected Jesus and a daily filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter experienced. That's why he was different. This week, I'd encourage you to spend some time with that truth. I don't have a four-step plan for you to go out and be different today. But I can tell you this, life's not over. And when you get to the point where your faith is unshakable in the resurrected Jesus, when you're asking His Holy Spirit to fill you every day, you'll realize life's not over. And you can live like Peter in spite of sin, in spite of failure, in spite of tragedy, in spite of unreached potential. You can live, truly live like Peter did after. Let's pray together. Not sure what your decision needs to be today, what your response needs to be to what God has spoken through His Word, to the example that we've seen. I don't know. But I asked you earlier to pray that God would give you a resurrection perspective on life. And maybe today you'd say, Lord, I, I need to believe in you. Lord, you need to get all of me. And I surrender it. Or maybe you say, you know, Lord, I, I, already, I already believe, but God, I need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I want to truly live in spite of failure and sin tragedy and unreached potential. Pour out your heart to Him today. Just you and Him. If you'd like me to pray for you, I'm certainly happy to do that. You're welcome in just a moment to make your way down and we'll spend some time in prayer. If you'd like to come and pray with somebody else, grab them and say, please pray for me. Then do that, But, but don't leave here today without spending some time with God. Show me what life is about, Lord. God, help us. Help us to truly live the life that you've promised for us. Lord, take all of us. We pray that you would exchange that as you've promised to do for all of you. Help us, Lord, to live. Thank you that life's not over, even in our failure and sin and our tragedies and our unreached potential. Lord, help us to live based upon faith in a resurrected Lord Jesus and based upon the daily filling of the Holy Spirit. Let that be our foundation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.